everyone. That little sprint there to the side of the stage was to ensure that we are, in fact, recording. Welcome to Juvenilia Live. Mm -hmm. We would love to welcome our wonderful guest, uh, author and publisher, uh, Sarah Davis Goff. Very politely stood behind the curtain while we did our raffle. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I got to review my notes back there, which I'm like clinging on to for dear life. So that was really nice, actually. Thank you. So you are going to talk to us about the 1984 film, The Terminator. I am. So for anybody who doesn't know what The Terminator is, tell them what A Terminator is. Okay. Oh, have yeah. we all seen The Terminator, by the way? Is there anyone who hasn't? Because like, freaking spoilers. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> the main I mean, spoilers that there is a Terminator 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. <laughs> so you know at least some of them survive. So. Like, we'll, we'll spoil everything, but at the same time, you'll definitely want to see it after mm. we've talked about it for a little while. I think it's, it's, it's very good. Um... Yeah. So, so well, I don't even know where to start. Let's start with the first time you saw it. Do you remember seeing it for the first time? I'm really bad at remembering the first time I did things, like the first time I heard or saw or walked or read a book. But I do remember that it was I was about nine or ten, and this would have been like in the context of a very sheltered childhood where I was essentially reading a lot of like you know Enid Blyton and like appropriate books, appropriate books like that. Um, and so two things happened to me. And one was that I discovered Stephen King, who my business partner, Lisa, has been on talking about. And if you haven't listened to that episode of Juvenilia yet, like, go and listen to it. It's so good. Um, so I, I, I read Firestarter for the first time. And that just kind of blew my mind with regard to what you could do with words and the different things that you could be interested in. Um, and the same happened for uh, Terminator. And in some ways, actually, like, you know, uh, Stephen King's Firestarter and the Terminator have a lot in common in that they're about dystopia. They're about problematic futures. They're roads they're road stories essentially where people are just trying to get away from something um which is just like a format that i really love it's a big chase big chase yeah, yeah exactly something i noticed is that terminator is punctuated by car chases like moment to moment there are several of them aren't they, they really are i mean i think i mean one of the things i love about the terminator is that it's told so incredibly leanly the structure mm. is amazing in that you know, you're, there isn't a beginning and a middle and an end, really. You're just thrown right into the action. Um, the movie opens with um, two things happening, basically. There's um, a lot of, like, electrical interference um, in, like, a back alley and in some building sites. So it's very, you know, grungy and grimy. Um, and two characters land. And on the one hand, we've got Arnie, who just lands um, in kind of a in a power pose, essentially, like, on his knees. And he looks ridiculous, um, but very impressive. He's, like, he looks just huge. And he like has his pectoral muscles the size of medium-sized Domino's pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, was kind of, like, I don't know how a body functions and how, what is that? It, he's huge. He's like, huge. he is huge. Like, yeah, I have a real, like, I'd love to puncture him or something, you know? You look yeah. like yeah. Yeah. That doesn't look like there's flesh under there. Right. It's very weird. <laughs> there might not be. Ooh. <laughs> but like, <laughs> <a robot>. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Um, but he's very, um, there's something very pristine about him. Mm. Um, and he's just like looking around him. He's taking everything in. And then in the next scene, we've got the same kind of thing happening. Um, but another grotesque monster lands, basically. We've got this, um, this guy, he lands, he lands real hard onto the ground, you know, and he's kind of, he's in the fetal position and he looks like he's in pain. He's, they're both naked, by the way. <laughs> Very naked. Um, <laughs> he's also covered in scars he's as well. He's covered in scars. Yeah, yeah the it. scarring on his back is really interesting yeah. the way the camera focuses. He's walking through this alley and you can see this web of like prosthetic scars on his back. Yeah. Um, and he's more like 
belched into the world, whereas mm. Arnie kind of lands in this like lightning bolt, right? Like purposeful, uh, has a job to do, quite literally mm-hmm. vibe. Whereas exactly. uh, our other buddy uh, is like, I'm here now. Yeah, and like throughout the movie, they just do a really good job of making sure that this second character, this Kyle Reese character, of making sure that he looks like his breath would smell, you know, mm. and like he's his <laughs> hair is greasy. Um, he looks like you would just love to stick him in a bath, you know. He needs um, a shave. He really needs yeah. a shave. He looks he looks very human and very flawed, and so they're kind of opposites in a way. And you're not sure which one is the monster. I mean, one is Arnold Schwarzenegger looking like a monster, and the other is Kyle Reese just looking like a homeless person. Just oh, that's very unfair. Looking like he needs some TLC and he's been through something. Um, so. Yeah, so basically this happens um, and then the third character we're introduced to is Sarah Connor and she's like, just a lovely shot. So all this stuff happens. It's very, um, you know, the music is quite dark. It all happens at nighttime. It's very gritty I'm and obsessed real. obsessed with the music. And the Sarah. music is fantastic. The music is one of the most, the things that took me most by surprise about it as a film. Like mm-hmm. it's so um, present. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's it carries kind of like, you. It's, um, it's like something like, Invented electro pop and then also found the orchestra stab button on the keyboard. <laughs> so it's a bit like da, 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 da. <laughs> and there's lots of uh, heartbeat pulses yeah. that sort of every time uh, Arnie's about to appear on the screen, it's almost like introduced by this heartbeat. So even when we see Sarah Connors flitting around this cafe, flustered with ice cream in her apron, and like extraordinarily like. Waitress Barbie. Yeah. Like hyper sure. feminine, hyper yeah. feminized. Mm-hmm. Just to go back to the introduction of the other two characters for a second. Um, so I found interesting is that the way Aaron Schwarzenegger gets his clothes is by taking them off like punks, off mm-hmm. villains. Oh my God. And Kyle Reese gets them off cops. It's, so you don't actually know. So he's taking them off the good guys and Aaron Schwarzenegger is taking them off bad guys. So the whole, you don't really know which one still. That's be. absolutely true. And like, I don't know, Kyle Reese, like we don't see everything that either character does. We do get certain insights into their actions. Um, and Kyle Reese, like it's a very awkward shot. I'm, I'm going to act it out here for a minute. So basically like the cops are coming and they like shine a light down the alleyway and there's a homeless guy on the ground and you see Kyle Reese just like pulling up his hands. Yes. And it's just like, what, has been, what is going on here? Yeah. Um, so he steals trousers from a homeless person, which is not cool, by the way. Um, Leaves the poor guy in the rain, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah which not is sound. just awful. Strike one, Kyle Reese. <laughs> like, we're not, I'm not sure that we're meant to think this guy is a good guy. And then he's being chased by cops because, you know, they've seen him doing something funny to a homeless man. Um, and uh, he sort of ends up in a department store and he's very lithe and spry. He finds it terribly easy to get around, you know. He sort of parkours in and out. And there's something about the way that he moves that's incredibly fluid. He obviously feels comfortable and he expresses this physically in this kind of situation, this kind of tense situation. Mm. So like the cops, he's got like six cops looking for him in this department store and he has time to do shopping. He has time to like (laughs) find a nice pair of sneakers. The best pair of sneakers in the house. Like they land deliberately sponsorship deal. They land into the frame uh, and you could just see the swoosh on the black. And I'm like, Christ's sake, Nike Vandals, was it Kerry? Nike Vandals? Is that what they are? Yeah, they're amazing. They're astounding. They are beautiful. Um, and he's like, you know, got this cool jacket that he gets. And he just like, he evades them without any problem. He steals um, a handgun and then also a shotgun, um, which apparently police just used to keep in their cars. So that must be very handy. It's real comforting. That's real comforting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's good to know. <laughs> and in terms of the music, we're kind of getting like a similar, um, we're getting kind of nearly similar music for both. And what I find really interesting is as the characters develop and you kind of see who you should be rooting for, the music changes for each a little bit. So even though they both start with very similar kind of predatory music, 
one develops more into the Arnold Schwarzenegger music, the Terminator music, and other, you know, and Kyle Reese eventually gets his own kind of sound. But the Terminator music, as you were saying, it's... The heartbeat. It's faster than heartbeat. It is. And to me, it reminded me of Jaws. I mean, Jaws is just like two beats. And like, you know, the Terminator music is just like three or four kind of depending. It's like a flutter. Yeah, yeah, a dark flutter. Yeah. And then it's, it's just opposed to whatever, whatever synthy nonsense is happening. Right. But it will start before he appears on screen. So we could be in the cafe or we could be somewhere else and you know that he's about to arrive. And the editing is super, super weird. Is something that I noticed as well. It's quite urgent and quite sudden sometimes. And uh, it's his shadow. Like it's before he enters. Mm. Is this like mm-hmm. this weird, dark sound. It's um, thoroughly unsettling. It is unsettling. Yeah, yeah it's going to shit out of me as a little 10-year-old not knowing what the hell is going on. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. back to Sarah Connor. Yeah. So we get introduced to Sarah Connor, who is just one of my favorite fictional characters ever, ever. Um, and it's kind of an incongruous scene. She's just um, like, we, so we have all these like horrible kind of nighttime gritty reality shots. And then here comes Sarah Connor on a very cool gold scooter. And she's wearing like, you oh, know, the scooter. This, I, I really want that scooter in my it's life. Amazing. It's amazing. It's an incredible visual. Like, yeah. yeah. And she's just like, we're in the suburbs suddenly. So you have like, a, you can see some blue sky and you can see some, um, some trees and stuff. And you really don't get that in many shots in the Terminator. So I'm always really curious when we do see it. Um, and she's just like driving along on a scooter and she's like late for work but doesn't care that much and like she's got this like amazing like 80s kind of like what, what fluttery it's a very fluttery cut I guess it's kind of yeah. bouffant yeah um, I want to talk about her hairstyle a little a little further on as well like I have I have theories <laughs> <laughs> um, but she's arriving into work that's how we know her Sarah Connor she has one of those like um um, what do you call that name card thing? Yeah, yeah, name card. Yeah. 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 yeah, and so that's how we know it's like Sarah Connor. Um, and she's late for work. And um, one thing that I find really interesting about this movie is that the world we're presented with in the present—it's not full of good people. Um, so so far, we've seen the cops, which have like overreacted wildly um, to what um, was happening with Kyle Reese. Um, we've seen the Terminator run into a gang of punks, including Bill Paxton in mm-hmm. one of his like first roles ever. He was like lead punk. Um, <clears throat> Their outfits were astounding also. Well, like for real, outfits. would have worn all of them. Yeah. Like, real <laughs> They're good. very cool. And um, so they're four punks basically. They're drinking beer and just like, you know, up to no good. Um, and the Terminator comes up to him and he's like, give me your clothes. And they're like, no. And then they, you know, draw knives. And in, in kind of a similar way to Kyle Reese, he's just got like no problem whatsoever with the situation. He just pulls one of their hearts out and that kind of solves everything. Just goes straight in there. We have not been watching this film for 10 minutes and there is a beating heart in Arnold Schwarzenegger's hand. Like this goes extraordinarily hard. Yeah. 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 Like I love it. I'm here with him, but I did not expect it to go beyond 90 that quickly. Yeah. And I think that sets you up for what you're about to go into for sure like it's, yeah, it's his totally. immediate thesis statement i will rip your heart out of your body <laughs> if you do not give me your clothes <laughs> and you begin to you begin to suspect i suppose at that moment that he's not just like an ordinary human person mm-hmm. because as far as i know we can't do that we haven't tried <laughs> we could try but uh, um so yeah. on the so we've got you know like cops being overreactive and incompetent we've got punks kind of being an assholes and then we've got um although obviously like all of them have, they all get stuff that happens to them that they don't deserve, um, which is really unfair. But um, we also have Sarah Connor in work. Like, she's late with someone's meal, and they're kind of mean to her about it. And she's got this, like, little kid, like, trying to throw ice cream in her apron and stuff. Like, she's not having a great day at the office. And the view we're getting of humanity so far isn't great, I would say. No. Mm. Yeah, it's, mm. it's very city living. It's very... Um 
everyone's kind of out for themselves a little yeah, bit and her sure. co-waitress is very interesting in it mm-hmm. though the black hair yeah. I don't think she's ever named but at this juncture in the story and this is what you're saying the very earlier on about very lean storytelling mm-hmm. like we're never told she's Sarah Connor we see she's Sarah Connor like that's really it's cinematography that is so smart yeah. that you don't even realize <laughs> it's happening to you and one of those gorgeous moments a few moments like this in the early part of the film which is still like light world everything mm-hmm. is still positive and, and happy relatively um, but before everything really 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 goes to shit um sarah connor sees something on the television that alarms her which i'll let you explain (coughs) but when she does see it her co-waitress puts her arm around her and says don't worry uh it's not the end of the world (laughs) which i think is uh i was like oh but oh so yeah sarah is um like nabbed by her, her friendly waitress pal and taken into the break room where the TV is on and um, the news is on and they're saying that Sarah Connor, you know, mother of three or whatever it is, has been killed. And her friend is like, you're dead, baby. And Sarah's yeah. like, well, that's a shit joke. Um, and um, that's how we find, begin to worry, I guess, for Sarah Connor and for what's going to happen to her. It's all set up. She's Her face is amazing. Like she shows so much... Uh, with so little. Lindsay Hamilton is an incredible actor. Yeah. I love her. She's almost 80% eyeballs. Yeah. Like, she's just eyes. And she does so much work mm-hmm. with that. Like, and it's not filmed in the way that films treat actresses now in terms of the gaze. Mm-hmm. Like, she's not treated as a female body that intensely in the way that, say, if she was played by Rooney Mara today, she would be. Like, yeah, we're not sure. lingering on her jawline. <clears throat> but she is doing so much work at a distance from the camera that you can feel how frightened she is without it having to be right up in her face, mm-hmm. Emma Stone style, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, she's, uh, at this point, when she's just starting to get freaked out, is incredible, and she only gets better from here. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we know who our three players are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and things are about to go incredibly wrong. Yeah, so it's Friday night. <clears throat> um, Sarah and her uh, roommate um, are getting ready to go out, and they're, like, putting on their iPads, they're listening to music. It's just, like, you know, classic. You know when you're, like, you know, a kid, and you're getting ready to go out, and it's kind of, like, the getting ready to go out is usually more fun than the going mm. out, and, like, you really get that sense, like, they're living in this, like, a small, but it looks perfectly, perfectly comfortable apartment, and they're, like, doing their hair, and they're, like, having the chats, um, and it turns out that Sarah's date isn't going to show up. She gets this message. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, we get this, um, we get, um, she picks, Sarah picks up the phone and it's her housemate's boyfriend who's called Matt. And he starts like whispering to her throatily down the phone that he's going to rip the buttons off her blouse one by one. And you're like, ooh. Um, and it turns out that, you know, it's for the housemate and that's appropriate because, you know, there's kind of mutual consent. And going Sarah Connor is just like... <laughs> <laughs> Ginger! <laughs> I think this is for you. But uh, Ginger has one of the lovely 80s visual humor of Ginger's just has got her headphones on and is just rocking out in front yeah. of her. I think that's more product placement by Walkman. Because oh, Walkman's would have been new then. Yeah. So like having product placement by like, Walkman and Nike is about as 80s of product placement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You kind of really forgive it, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's used so well. Yeah. Oof. So like, let's recap for a moment. We've got like two two creepy guys doing creepy things that we don't know much about. Um, then we've got this this other man coming into the situation who's called Matt, um, who is a little bit of a creep on the phone. Sarah later calls him a creep, like in a kind of jokey palsy way. She's like, "Come on, creep." <clears throat> um, and we've got Sarah's sort of erstwhile boyfriend who's like, you know, phoning her on Friday evening to tell her he's not after all going to take her out on Friday night. So we've got all these men who are kind of like communicating, inter- you know, via technology 
five phones usually that they're not going to be able to fulfill some purpose or that they're they're going to be disappointing in some way essentially mm. it's good it's it's yeah they're just they're just setting you up for the for the big fall mm. another really exciting thing about sarah connie's apartment is that she has a lizard and what is that about why does she just have this kind of lizard big old lizard uh, whose name is pugsley for the adams family right uh he's the eldest of the adams adams children and the other nice touch i found about that scene in the apartment is that sarah connors is wearing a jetsons t-shirt with yeah. a cartoon of the jetsons so i thought what we're learning again visually about so we're, it's telling us small things about the kind of life that sarah connors has at this point which is not innocent but she's in the time of her life she lives with her pal she's like maybe going out with kind of boring dudes or dudes who aren't great mm-hmm. but you can see these facets of how much of a playful person she is and where her priorities are mm-hmm. you know she's Absolutely. just she's just kind of rocking along before yeah. everything gets turned and like you feel out. a real sense of kinship with her as a woman i think or totally. at least like, i'm sure everyone does like just she's just a normal gal trying to live her life like she's working like kind a of a dead-end job but like she's young you know she's exactly that that's her status quo mm-hmm. and that one and it's built so carefully of all these tiny little pieces that you're like oh i immediately believe this yeah. Apparently she's ah. supposed to be 19 according to the script. 19! Which is that weird. That is quite young. Jesus. Yeah. That's also, I think oh, the Jetsons young. thing is that like Jetsons is like a utopian future where the machines do everything for you. Whoa. She's about to go into a world where it's the opposite <laughs> that happens where the machines just don't want you there at all. That's a lovely touch. I would yeah. say somebody that's really thought that. You oh, know, yeah, so it's, sure. it's all on the screen in front of you. There's so much work being done visually yeah. that it, uh, oh, it's a joy in that yeah. way. It's a joy. And Sarah was James Cameron's first film as a director is and well him and Gail and her wrote it together right. so it's just so accomplished such a great script mm-hmm. it's so like focused tight. and tight yeah it's yeah. very neat mm. <clears throat> so <clears throat> after Sarah discovers she doesn't have a date that night she wants to get out of the apartment to let Matt and Ginger like have a good time together so she's like alright I'm going out to get pizza and so off she goes into the night and she's just like leaving the apartments and like there's one of those shots where she's just like you know, she's fiddling to get the door closed and the camera's kind of coming up behind her so you feel like a sense of kind of creepiness and then there's Matt, um, Ginger's boyfriend who just kind of like shrouds her in and she has to like push him away. Like it's all very jokey and friendly but like that's when she calls him a creep and like you get the sense that she's being watched I don't know. <laughs> it's very like just, you know, being a woman navigating the world mm, mm. <laughs> where you just like, there are men there. They all have the potential to be dangerous and you're just not sure which ones actually will be and which won't. And that's something you kind of have to figure out through experience, which oddly is the kind of inverse of the Terminator's experience who so the Terminator, as we are beginning to find out is like looking for Sarah Connors. He doesn't necessarily know which one. So he's just literally going through the phone book, trying to kill them. So, He's trying to find the right woman by experience, and Sarah's doing the opposite. So she's he's he's fully, and I, I love this aesthetic thing, which time which places it in a in a very particular time of the opening of the phone book and the looking at the Sarah Connors and how immediately available all the Sarah Connors are in yeah. terms of their address and how how naked that feels. Absolutely. Um, and he just kind of shows what people say and shoots. Yeah. And these are very short scenes and you don't see a lot. You just see the Terminator showing up, checking the name and then just like, like, you know, killing them brutally with a gun. Um, and specifically with a gun which is completely the, which is well he has guns now but um, oh yeah he, he just buys a bunch of guns too right he which is easy store. Like, yeah. super easy like this giant lad is just like give me, give me your guns now but um, he does he does kill the gun shop owner yeah. but it's uh, funny <laughs> there was but, a five day waiting period so, yeah. so he's <laughs> like ah, I don't have that don't have that time um, but Sarah realises in the pizza place that there have been a couple of Sarah Connors's right taken down so she's in the pizza place and she's been working on her pizza putting more parmesan or whatever on it and she cuts a slice and she's about to put it in her mouth 
and she hears the name Sarah Connor from the TV in the corner and oh I just really regret that mouthful that she was nearly going to take you know <laughs> like that really sticks with me every time I watch it so anyway she goes over to the bar and like asks them to turn it up so she can see what's going on and she finds out then that another Sarah Connor has been killed and that's when it transpires that like oh it, they're appearing these names are appearing in the same order as the, the phone as they do in the phone book and so she goes to a phone book and she checks out and even in that scene which is just a very short scene Sarah like you know just checking out her name um, there's a guy just a tall guy standing beside the um, watching and he's looking at her she's doing it yeah right which again is just like a very female experience she's in a bar she's being checked out by some guy but again like it's there's something a little like threatening about it like it doesn't feel safe she doesn't feel safe um, and so she kind of she leaves that place and she goes um, out onto the street and she feels like she's being followed and she is by this guy Kyle Reese who looks incredibly creepy um, and he's just like walking slowly behind her with his hands in his pockets and so she ducks into this bar called Technoir. Mm. You see what they did there? <laughs> so subtle. <laughs> um, and she just, she goes in there and she kind of waits it out and she tries to get in touch with the police and the, she can't get through. On the payphone in the nightclub, <laughs> which is um, so good. So and again, good. it's kind of a failure of technology. I mean, yeah. she's trying to get through and she can't and she's just getting, um, getting the ring around from the police, basically. Um, so that's like really frightening for her. Mm. Technoir is an amazing set. It's almost like in like an arcade yeah. with a dance floor. And they kind of got like, they didn't pay for the really good extras. It looks like really ordinary. <laughs> right. there, but like with good eyeshadow. So. <laughs> excellent eyeshadow. Excellent eyeshadow. Lots of mustaches. Yeah. yeah. Lots of mustaches. Lots of shaggy hair. There mm -hmm. weren't many extras, I noticed. The room was quite sparse. So it had that early evening kind of feel to it, I suppose. Definitely. Um, and this, I think, is when it starts to really turn into a horror film. Right, right. Where so. it just amps into genuine, like, pursuit and fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Sarah is, um, she eventually manages to get through to Lieutenant Traxler on the phone, who's like a good cop. And um, he's like, okay, we're going to send a car. Just stay still. Don't even go to the restroom. Just like, don't move. We're coming to get you. Um, and so she also rings Ginger to be like, listen, I'm scared. They've been giving me the runaway. Can you, can you not like come and like rescue me essentially? Um, and that message goes through to a voicemail because Ginger and Matt are otherwise occupied. Um, and so she's just like sitting at a table and she just, she looks so frightened. She looks quite small, you know, mm. she's sitting at a table. She's got her hands flat like this. And she's, she's nothing like to do waiting. with her hands. If that was today, she'd be scrolling. Like yeah. again, it's that vulnerability of having nothing to occupy yourself with mm. while you're waiting for the next thing in your life to happen. So true. And she looks really small. Mm. Looks really small. Yeah. Really human. Um, and um, she looks up. And she locks eyes with Kyle Reese, who she now realizes is sitting like almost opposite her, just watching her essentially, which is just like hugely creepy moments. And like a moment that a lot of us has kind of, have kind of lived, like where we feel like, you know, there's a guy who just like is watching or just like, you know, kind of has been pestering you. You again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, there's something very sort of appealing and human about that. So she just like looks away um, and then in comes the Terminator. And he makes an entrance with that music that we've been talking about. Um, he doesn't want to pay the $5 or whatever to get in. So he just like breaks some guy's hand. Um, and he's just like walking around the club, like using his kind of like um, the laser computer vision. vision. The, the, it's the first time we see the world through his eyes at that point, which is an incredible leap mm -hmm. when you see the red filtered screen with the like target. That's a word. Uh, when you see that completely finally dehumanizes him for me where it's like oh he see mm, that's what he's seeing yeah like this homing system yeah absolutely oh. he's just he's scanning you know he's always scanning for his target it's very frightening um and 
just because she happens to knock over a salt cellar with her shoulder and she's just like, with her elbow rather, and she happens to be leaning down just when he's looking in her particular area. She gets away with it for like an extra five minutes and then he comes back and he sees her and she locks eyes with him and then he pulls out this gun and like, you just like, she like... I don't even know how to describe that moment. A lot happens. There's yeah. a lot of choreography at play there. Yeah. And so on the one hand, the Terminator has obviously found her, targeted her, is about to shoot her in the face, and it's really frightening. Um, and then off to the corner, we can see Kyle Reese like bring out his shotgun with this huge flourish of like this long beard duster. His thing duster coat, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awful. And so just as the Terminator like hucks his gun to murder Sarah Connor, um, he manages to get a few shots off and you kind of begin to understand then that he's sort of a good guy because he's trying to, you know, push the, um, you know, other um, people at the party, at the club, kind of out of the way so there's no collateral damage. Um, and he manages to get a shot off and like hit the Terminator just in time. Um, and then there's an almighty shootout, which is great fun. Oh, I so love the much. shootout. And there's just people like legging it out. It's very, there's like a moment where he goes behind the bar and smashes everything. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a Western bar fight style. Definitely. Yeah. And like, again, Kyle is just like incredibly spry on his feet. He doesn't seem like overly frightened. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, and Sarah Connor, in the meantime, is trying to get to the exit. She doesn't know what's happening. I mean, it's a shoot-up in a bar. Like, it's unbelievably frightening, I would imagine. The modern context of that feels very different as well. The sure. idea of two men walking into a bar armed in the year that this film was out versus mm. that now. Mm-hmm. You kind of get a much... Uh, for me, anyway, with having watched so much of the like shootings in America, say, mm-hmm. um, the really deep horror of the idea of a very small enclosed space with a low ceiling yeah and a man with a gun who was gonna set it off like that is very frightening it's not really like a bang bang caper it's like oh dear jesus Mm -hmm. like you can nearly feel the iphone footage of what that would be like on the inside it's really frightening it it is aged in a strange way Mm -hmm. into the world that we live in Mm -hmm. now i think i totally agree there's apparently just one exit, so everyone at the club is trying to get out of it. Mm. Um, the person behind... The Terminator obviously has no compunction in who he shoots and who he does not shoot, so he's just, like, spraying bullets everywhere. The woman, like, right behind Sarah gets shot and falls on top of her, so Sarah's kind of, like, pinned by her body, essentially, and is stuck there. Um, and that's well, when Kyle Reese, like, gets to her and takes her hand and says those immortal words, come with me if you want to live. Oh, that's when I fell in oh. love. Ten-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and things begin, the penny begins to drop. Like he's, he's the good guy. Although they're both obsessed with her, although they're both essentially stalkers, he's the stalker that she can trust for the moment. Mm-hmm. For the moment. So let's jump out of the film for a second. Sure. So when were you, so you were saying you were 10 when you were watching I think this. so, roughly. How yeah. were you watching this um, as my, a 10 year old? My parents were very liberal and they just kind of let us do our own thing in terms of books and movies. Like if we could find it and we could, um, you know, make it work for ourselves. We were just kind of allowed at it, essentially, mm. which is how I watched Aliens when I was way too young to be watching Aliens. God, <laughs> that was no good. But um, yeah, my big brother loves this film as well. I think there are slightly more, he was the person that I watched it with, um, my big brother Will. And uh, he's more of a Terminator 2 head now because I think there's just slightly more in terms of car chases and he's very into that. Um, but he's obviously like an idiot because the Terminator is a lot better. Yeah. A lot better. The Terminator is in a genre that I call, um, if you grew up in the 80s, it's your friend's big brother film. Yeah. Where if you went to your friend's house, I love that. you would hear this shootout sounds coming from your friend's big brother's room and he would close the doors you went past, but you would see a bit of a truck flipping over. And that was all you would know of the film. Yeah. And it's that kind of genre. Oh, so it's like that and I guess... Uh, Dead Proof actually is like a 
that kind oh, of yeah. that feel and Planet Terror. They're uh-huh. like modern Big Brother films. I but it's that, that kind of thing. Fiction. Yeah. My friend's older sister and her friends were watching it downstairs and screaming. Mm. So I wow. uh, still can't quite listen to Stuck in the Middle of You, obviously, as no one ever can after <laughs> that film. But my first, like, oh, they listen to music. And then you hear screams of teenage girls watching Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It all makes a lot more sense now. But that, that having somebody else to bring you into it yeah. and break down the, you're 12, you probably shouldn't be watching this, or you're 10, you shouldn't be watching this, boundaries really important. My big brother was always the one of the ideas. Like I was the mm. one just like following him around, like you know, figuring out like how to try and keep up. So yeah, I was really glad he was there that day. Although I'm, I don't remember being overly frightened. I just remember being fascinated. It's not actually that gory. It's not to a lot gory. of these films. Yeah. Um, I was expecting besides the heart, obviously it's start. Right. But I think Terminator Two was probably gory. They're both fifteens now, but yeah, I think Terminator Two definitely has more in the way of like gore and actual violence. I think in it. you do see gore in Terminator. It's very. Uh, detailed and yeah. slow focus it's forensic it's very interesting yeah i think and, and when it becomes truly violent in a way that's upsetting is when the when gingers is otherwise occupied <sighs> she is otherwise occupied by being brutally murdered uh well she's having the ride first which is good for her with her headphones on thanks sony uh, which is such a power move <laughs> it's such a power move she's got her headphones on it's great um and uh, both her and Matt uh, are just uh, completely eviscerated mm. by the Terminator without emotion, while Sarah Connors' voicemail is playing, and get, which is another amazing piece of cinematography, mm. but um, or like composition in terms of the writing. <laughs> but that's the minute where the film turns into something else. Like it's only been leading up to it hopping off the edge at that point. But when when Ginger just gets taken out, and I think the camera lingers on her face on the floor. And like her again. hand just going like that. Which yeah. is, oh, and again, it's not gory, it's but it's bodily. Yeah. And the other times that we do see blood and guts, like with Patricia when the Terminator is mending himself, um, which makes it sound like he's like stitching himself back together with thread. He's not. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's get into that in a minute because oh, that is great. Oh, yeah. The bodily stuff is yeah. so forensic, was the word you used. Exactly that. But, um, and here's where I learn a little bit more about Matt as well because he has mm. like the Terminator essentially like shows up at Sarah's home and because she's next in the phone book and like tries to murder the people he finds there and Matt is the first that he comes across he's just like having a little you know post-coital snooze um, and Matt just like fights like a lion he's mm. like don't let me bust you up man like he really thinks he's gonna win and like it's so heartbreaking like this guy who 10 minutes ago I dismissed as a creep is just like really trying so hard to defend himself and getting just absolutely milled like he doesn't just get shot like he gets thrown into milled out of it cereal is flying through the air from the kitchen like it is yeah, carnage it's brutal yeah yeah mm. in a small apartment in the dark it's because it's, it's in the dark mm. as well I think it's a very powerful and upsetting scene that kind yeah. of paves the way for where we're going to go a bit yeah I think um, so the Terminator is obviously there and it's through um, the answering machine that he hears that Sarah Connor is now a technoir which is how he goes to find her it's all just so neatly told mm. brilliant <sighs> yeah. and it effectively turns into a pursuit story from then on right absolutely um, so we um, Sarah Connor manages to get away thanks to the help of Kaya Reese um, and like she doesn't hesitate at all to believe that some guy is out to kill her like that's kind of a given like she has no problem accepting that as this new reality but when she talks a little bit more to Kyle um and she's trying to get away from him obviously because like she doesn't know what the fuck is going on um and he's like I'm from the future and that's when she like 
wigs out. She just pieces out. She's like, cool. <laughs> just leaves. She tries to open like the door of the moving car and just like get the hell out of there, which is fair. And she just like, he grabs her. She bites him really hard. And I love that you can oh see God, the, the blood in her teeth. For that. Mm. The blood in her the, teeth. It's such a good detail. The, this is the thing, bodily stuff. Like she's not like stage biting him. She comes back up from physically harming him and her teeth are really, and from this super feminine pink waitress uniform, rip off sleeve on her turquoise shirt, from that girlishness mm -hmm. you immediately see her now in this next world of the film with her mouth full of somebody else's mm. blood like go hard Sarah yeah. like go hard <laughs> um, yeah and like they're so great on the details like for the rest of the movie you know Kyle Reese has like a bandaged hand and like sometimes there's like a bit of blood coming through it still like she really goes to town on him and I love that I love that she just doesn't like get a you know it, it's this no injury in this is forgotten you know mm. Um, I really, I find it interesting when films do that where you, kind of, you have like 90 minutes to tell a story and that's the story, but they do like something irreversible to a character halfway through. And then they have like this, some kind of, like in Chinatown as well, not to bring Roman Polanski into it, but like <laughs> when Jack Nicholson, Nicholas, not the golfer, Jack Nicholson gets <laughs> his nose sliced open and then he just has a bandage for the rest of the film. It's like you've ruined your character, but in, in the it makes the story way. better. Yeah. It's realistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, Sarah is, has been kidnapped slash saved. Um, they're on the run. The Terminator catches up to them again. Um, and basically then the police come along and there's this new situation I've seen in the world that the police can't immediately make worse. Um, <laughs> and so very creepily, uh, the Terminator um, disappears when the cops catch up with them. Um, and uh, Kyle and Sarah are taken into custody, essentially. And you get the idea that, you know, she tells her story and they believe her and they're like, oh, by the way, your roommate's Ginger is dead. And she's just like devastated by this, obviously. Um, and like the pace is really building here. Um, you know, she doesn't have long till he comes at her again. Um, Kyle, meanwhile, is being taken off to sort of an interrogation room and he's being very honest about his story. He's like, no, I'm from the future. She's the mother of the future. Um, I'm trying to save her. It's very, like, it's imperative that she lives. That Terminator isn't going to stop until he, you know, he rips her heart out, rips her fucking throat out. I yeah, think something really, really horrifying. It's quite graphic. And this is, this is a really excellent use to think of exposition because mm. he just does the this is why I'm here, plot thing. But he does it in such a brilliant context under this horrific police interrogation. And the way that we see it as viewers is through the camera. It's in this black and white, like from a security camera vantage point, mm. documentary style, like nearly. And that's a brilliant way to do exposition. It really is. Yeah. Like he's just trying to explain why he so badly needs to see Sarah Connor and like people well, he does, you know. Um, and oh, we're introduced to one of my favorite characters now in the whole uh, Terminator franchise, which is Dr. Silverman. Poor Dr. Silverman. <laughs> so he's a psychologist, criminal, what's his title again? It's criminal psychologist or something. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, and he's um, just kind of, if your elderly great-grandmother's couch was a person, <laughs> it might be Dr. Silverman. He's just, he's like fading out of the world, you know? He's like just a middle-aged guy who's, who, whose life has been disappointing to him, I feel. He's exhausted. And maybe that's just what, you know, maybe that's just relatively realistic if you're a criminal psychologist, like working in LA in the 80s, you know? He's so jaded. Very jaded, yeah. yeah. And he's just, he's quite a sad man. And uh, and not super clued into people's needs. Um and this is, I mean, it's sort of a recurring theme of the movie. Like, even though we're not just talking, we're not living in the future, in this future dystopia, we're living in the present. But the present is full of people who 
are trying to make a career out of you or are trying to knife you or are trying to um, take you to jail for bad reasons. Like none of the people we meet, with very few exceptions, are good people in 1984 LA. <clears throat> um, and Dr. Silverman is unfortunately another one of these. Um, although he's not sort of outwardly malevolent, he's delighted at having met this character, Kyle Reese, who he can build a whole, you know, a whole career off him. And he doesn't seem to connect with the very obvious um, discomfort and distress that Kyle Reese is in. Um, he has no compunction in not showing, in, in showing Sarah this video that they've made of the interview that just happened, um, which is just He's just marveling and calls him a crazy person. Yeah. He's just like, look this crazy. You think this guy's crazy, right? This guy's crazy. I'm going to study him. Like, it's gross. Yeah, it's really His gross. behavior is really, uh, yeah. like, it's it's mean it behavior. And uh, Sarah's meant to be safe at this point, right? So this is another <laughs> tell that she's not she's not safe. These mm -hmm. people probably don't have her best interests at Absolutely. heart. Um, with one exception, I would say, I think the one good guy, apart from, like, possibly Matt we meet in the movie, is uh, Dr. Uh, Lieutenant Traxler, mm. who is this um, very jaded but kind of gentle cop. And it seems like he's kind of in charge of this precinct, which has, like, over 30 cops in it. And um, he's got his kind of sidekick who's, um, what's the name of that actor again? Oh, Lance Henriksen. Exactly. Um, who was originally supposed to be the Terminator. Well. No, yeah. that's a different Terminator. Listen, wait, hang on. It was Lance Henriksen, OJ Simpson, and Arnold Schwarzenegger were the oh three boy. people up for it. Wow, that's yeah. mad. That's which a, is wild. That's dramatic. It's a very different film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's a different world. Who's <laughs> <laughs> governor of California for a while? Then do you know what I mean? Like, it's a, <laughs> it's a different planet. There was yeah. a bit to start where he's naked, looking out over LA. I was like, that's foreshadowing. Whoa, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's literally Poor Arnie, man. God. God love him. And this, this scene in the police station as well is where we get to that iconic OG meme line that Arnie delivers with a, almost nothing, I would say. Yeah. He's just non-delivering it. So this, of course... Oh, but first... Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah. No, no, you go. First, we have the, the most body horror-ish part of the oh, film. Oh, yeah, let's talk oh, about that. Oh, God, yeah, we, yeah, Before yeah. he comes back, we should Ooh, probably that. So the Terminator yeah. has been slightly beat up at this stage. Like, the cops have had a bit of a go at him, um... He's been shot in the face. Kyle Reese has had a bit of a go at him. And so he goes back to his sleazy hotel, basically, climbs in through the window and performs surgery of a sort on himself. So he's clearly, he's got an injury in his arm. God, the arm. Yeah. yeah. And like, you can, you can see a bit of shot or something in there. And so um, he just slices it open. Um, he uses different scissors and forceps and stuff to keep, to keep the skin peeled back so that he can do whatever he needs to do on the kind of the very sinewy, you know, metal strands beneath. And like, it's great. He like tugs on one of them and his finger comes up and he tugs it down and it goes down again. And there's something, um, I mean, it's kind of a vivisection, which I find so fascinating. Mm -hmm. It's a vivisection on himself. And there's something very, there's something almost still life about it. There's, um, you know, those very old sort of old master um, sort of Renaissance paintings of, um, corpses that are just being like exposed um, oh like an anatomy lesson exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah he's kind of doing that to himself and the camera really lingers there the camera is fascinated by this and so are we um so he's got you know one thing here that he's fixing up and then he's got um some shot in his eye and unfortunately like he's beginning to look unhuman which is like a problem for him and he takes off his sunglasses and you can see like his red eye and he has to uh <laughs> Go in there. He's got to go in there. He yeah. does. He goes in. He like knifes it out basically, and the his eyeballs just kind of falls into the sink of water. And just the detail here is absolutely exquisite. Like there's just like 
the camera rests on like little bits of blood. There's um, the the um, tap is dripping a little bit, and we really like sit there with that noise of the dripping tap, which is very. There's something very sleazy about it, and very sad mm. about it. And they've made like a full mask of his head, to <laughs> oh, yeah. lead on top of it. It looks. It's not bad. It looks like 1987 instead of 1984. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is quite good. Yeah. It's like, Jason, it gives me that same unsettling feeling. Sometimes when I see something scary and it tends to be in that between human mm. and like puppet, I suppose, realm, like the Jason and the Argonauts feeling. Do you know sure? what I know about? Do yeah. you know what I mean when I'm saying, Jason, that, that feeling that, kind that you of get? Yeah, feeling. Feeling. Uh, and yeah. you're like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I want more There's of something it. awful about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm really glad that it was before CGI. I get, me too. I get severe on Canny Valley with CGI, and I can't, I can't take any pleasure from it. Yeah, I like the use of prosthetics and mm-hmm. use of makeup mm-hmm. and use of machines in what they did with that arm and with the space. I totally agree. And I think if you'd CGI that, it would have neutered it. Mm-hmm. It would be gutless mm-hmm. if uh, it had been done by a computer. And because it was so tactile, and because you know Arnie is doing those, doing that acting that mm-hmm. with those prosthetics it, but it's something different then and the Definitely horror not. is more palpable because a human is doing those actions even if they are protected mm. by prosthetics there is still someone engaging in that contact with the inside of their body or an illusion of the inside of the body as opposed to computer magic good which is not really as mm. kind of powerful or something i totally agree yeah i think that's so well put yeah. um anyways it's bloody creepy and great to watch <laughs> it's real creepy and real yeah. hard to watch it <laughs> Um, <laughs> so Arnie basically like shoves back on his sunglasses and he's ready to go, which is with his little pinpricks of light of red light out his eyes. Yeah. Um, so where do we get to in the police station? Yeah, he rocks up so the police he's about station. To say the light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, Sarah is um, invited to have a nap basically on Lieutenant Traxler's couch. She's had like a pretty crap afternoon. Um, her, um, she's been crying because you know her housemate and like presumably like best friend and boyfriend have have died and have been brutally murdered um you know she has had really sort of unpleasant experiences herself but lieutenant Trex is like listen your mother is coming in from big bear why don't you just like get some sleep on this couch um you've got 30 cops around you you're totally safe and sarah's just like yeah okay um and she does manage to fall asleep which is great um and then she wakes up just at the beginning of this new scene where we just begin to hear gunfire in the police station. And it's so frightening. It's like waking up to a bad dream. And there's something so, um, the fear on her face is so palpable. The acknowledgement, I guess, within herself that she thought she had escaped a bad situation. And now the realization that that situation is is just beginning rather than just ending. Um, and that's, oh, as you say, like her face does a lot of work and you just, you see all of that being processed and just, just the fear most of all. Like when Arnie comes back in, like the delivery of that line again seems very camp now because we have heard it all fed back to us. Mm-hmm. But what he, the havoc that he wreaks upon that police station at that at that point is so violent and so horrendous that like when when he says it, you know, I was like, oh, that's the that's the line. And then about so away, like about mm-hmm. twenty seconds later, he drives a car into the building. He just <laughs> drives a car into the building and like lands in and is just like, I'm gonna murder everybody inside. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's an it's a line used to advertise things. It'll it, it's 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 a it's a meme. Mm-hmm. It's a meme before screen caps. It's a meme before mm-hmm. the computer, and it's in fact a prelude to like it's not meant to be funny. It's not funny. It's actually no. It's really not until the second film that becomes the the, the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. I think, yeah. This is the first utterance then. 
It's yeah, like, it's awful. I think it's it's a really good scene for seeing the the, the three of them as characters because like mm-hmm. they're all three in the exact same situation where they're in a gunfight in a police station, obviously, and the Terminator is just perfectly calm doing a job, which is. A really hard thing to act, I would say. I think he gets enough credit for how good he actually is as a being a total robot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then Michael Bean um, is like scared, but used to being scared. Yeah. And Sarah Connors is all new to her. I've read reading a thing with Michael Bean where he said he read a lot about the Warsaw Underground, hmm. and that's what he based Kyle Reese on as like a Polish survivor in World War Two. Wow. And Galen Hurd is Jewish, and she said, "Yep, yeah, that's what I that's what I was doing with those scenes as well." Whoa. So it is actually a Nazi parable as well, Whoa. where they are the survivors. So it's really that's fascinating. It's an interesting detail to it. Yeah. That police station scene as well isn't just a grotesque, like spectacle of violence either. The way that it was lit, I think, adds mm. a lot to that. Mm. My my one note that I wrote down from that moment was like the lighting here is so upsetting, mm-hmm. and you can see her hiding and the way she's moving in the space, and that it is like people hiding in the shadows from something terrible. Mm-hmm. And the, the striped lighting through the striped blinds, I know it's sort of a trope at this point, it's something that, that we see in cinema a lot, but it's used extremely powerfully mm-hmm. here, that you can just see these cracks of light, like prison birth, you know, mm-hmm. and people are, are hiding from what's mm-hmm. inevitable, yeah. but it's coming down on you, yeah. Um, so of course you know cops being cops are like you know grabbing their small guns and stuff trying to take this guy down um, and it's just like very unfair because you know he's the Terminator and so he's just absolutely milling through them um, he man- um, Arnold Schwarzenegger like finds this like contr- like um, power panel essentially in a hallway and he just pulls out one bit and sticks it to another bit and all the lights blow and so that's where we get this like great weird sad emergency lighting basically um, and he's just um you know, he's doing his thing. He's looking for Sarah Connor. He's looking for his target. Um, and he's just, you know, going straight through anything that tries to get in his way. Um, so lots of bullets are being sprayed. Um, Kyle Reese being Kyle Reese is great and manages to get out of the, you know, interrogation room where he's been locked. And he's also looking for Sarah. So once again, we're back into the situation, you know, where she's being sought. Um, and she's um, just hiding behind a very normal desk with her eyes closed, like um, waiting for all to be over, essentially. Um, and she hears the voice of Kyle Reese looking for her. And she just like opens her eyes and just makes that decision like, okay, I'm on board with this guy and whatever his story is. And from that moment on, they're kind of a team together mm-hmm. and they're they're running together, um, which is really nice. And I think she's realized that the cops can't help her because Lieutenant Traxler and Lance Hendrickson die exactly the same way as all the other cops. They don't get a heroic right. ending. They're disposed of the same way as every other, every other extra in that scene, pretty much. And for like a very like short, very tightly woven movie, those two get quite a lot of time together. It's like a you know, it's kind of like a they're, they have the buddy cop moments, mm. um, you know, they obviously, they're very different, but they get along together very well. They've obviously been together for a long time and, like, care about each other a lot. And we don't even, like, we see one of them get shot, but we don't even, like, rest with their deaths or anything. Um, we just, like, we move on from it all extremely quickly. Well, this is the cruelty of the film, and this is why it's horror, right? Where you're picking off, the, you're getting to know these characters, and you're getting right. picked off one by one, and they're like, cool, they're gone now. Sorry. Absolutely. Like it's a, the stakes are incredibly powerful and unforgiving because like we I love her in Ginger's life. Yeah. Ginger feels like she might be somebody. Absolutely. She's not. And neither are those guys. Mm-hmm. And it's that mercilessness which I think is speaking to the wider build up towards the apocalyptic future, which we saw flashes of in the beginning, mm-hmm. and there are flashbacks littered throughout. Mm-hmm. We can see, I think, from this point onwards, how that future can happen. Because of the ruthlessness like it really I feel like we throw around big words like ruthless a lot yeah. about like I, I will call anything ruthless like I will call jeans <laughs> that are too tight ruthless you know? um, 
coffee ruthless <laughs> <laughs> weather uh, ruthless um, but in actual fact the ruthless murdering and slaughtering of the cast that you see around you and that you by being a person who knows his stories work expect to hang around for a while yeah. this film's like nah they're gone now mm-hmm. it's like a narrowing down of the options until we're just trapped mm-hmm. with uh, Sarah and Kyle like it's it's it becomes um tunnel vision Mm-hmm. And it's just like one of these things causing all this as well. Yeah. Like we yeah. see in the future is like yeah. huge gigantic tanks and machines and basically the entire every computer and the entire like military industrial complex is turned against humanity and we can see just one machine. And what it can what it can do. Yeah. yeah so. like, I think the film opens on a tank crushing a load of little skulls. Mm. To be extraordinarily bleak, those two police officers, Ginger, Matt everyone mm-hmm. like the way the characters are treated and the car- the slaughter of characters are treated in this film we they, they told us they were going to do this in the do this in the first seconds of the mm-hmm. film they to- they told us this is what life means to the terminator and again even the language of the terminator and the comedy kind of giant arnold with the giant pecs like that like does a disservice to the horror of this story mm-hmm. which is um really quite upsetting it really. is and it only gets worse from here yeah. on in even as it becomes a, a solid chase um, so once again you know they manage to get away um, they spend a night under a bridge um, absolutely freezing um, Kyle Reese talks a little bit about um, his past and that's when we find out of course or his future I guess mm-hmm. he doesn't know tech stuff um, so we find out then, of course, that Sarah, well, actually, I think we've known before that Sarah is the mother of the future, that what happens is, of course, that she has this child, John Connor, who goes on to be this great dystopian leader, essentially, um, and that eventually leads mankind to to overcome the machines. Um, and that's why she's so incredibly important. So it's like, yeah, it's a Madonna complex. I was and actually I just going to say, it's like protect the Virgin Mary at all costs. Absolutely. And this, to me, is where her hair comes in. It's like, this is like halo <laughs> blonde. She's got these huge, you know, blue eyes. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she wears quite a lot of blue. Um, like there's there's definitely some sort of Madonna imagery going on there. There absolutely is. Like, And it's only, I suppose, in the second one that she becomes like the tank top, little sunglasses, badass kick and Sarah Connors that kind of has become more iconic. Mm-hmm. But like that soft girl Sarah Connors is more... Um, she's kind of commodified by them in a way, I suppose. Mm. Like she is a object to be transported and protected or terminated. Absolutely. Well, she was probably seen as an easy target by the machines as well. To yeah. Come back and kill the mother mm. instead of instead of killing baby Hitler, you go kill Hitler's baby mother when she was nineteen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Real when she's nineteen <laughs> specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So they're under the bridge. And you see that he leaves a picture of her as well. Yeah. So we find this out yeah. through another flashback. So. Um, Every now and then we get like another sort of a glimpse of what this horrific future is life. Um, and it's no the, life. No. Right, yeah. right. So, <laughs> I don't think I'd, I'd stick around. I don't I was, know. No, I'd rather yeah. go out probably. Self-cancel. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like there's two kids watching a television, but then you see it's just oh, it's an empty television on fire. Oh. And just watching the flame instead of an actual like good cartoon. <laughs> flame emoji all day just yeah. watching it's like just watching gifts right <laughs> okay and like he's just Clarice is obviously like living in some kind of underground bunker where you know there are other families trying to live and trying to eke out in life and a couple of characters are chasing a rat and like they manage to get it and hold it up and they're delighted with themselves like Clarice doesn't have like an apartment or even a room to go back to like he goes and sits on this bench 
at the end of his, you know, quite tough working day where he's just been out trying to murder things essentially and try to survive. And uh, he just takes out this picture from his uniform uh, that's been kind of stashed away carefully. And there's a real, like, it's the only time I think that the character slows down and just like takes a minute with himself. And like, there's a sense of reverence to this moment where he takes out this photo. It's like, you know, immediately that this is kind of a treat. And then you see this photo of Sarah Connor looking slightly different to the way she looks now. Um, and we just like wonder what that's about. I love analog features like that. And like I use the word analog incorrectly when I talk about futures without non-Apple futures is kind of where I'm going with this. Like we're seeing a world after the end of the world. And right now, like any given one of us probably won't. I don't remember the last time I had a photograph on my person. Do you know mm. what I mean? Like objects and talismans like that photograph, which becomes incredibly important in terms of like the plot, obviously. Um, they're not, I can't, it's in watching this film in 2019, that it feels like a, a mythology nearly, mm. a mythology of the past. Oh, do you remember when people just like gave each other photos of people or photos of each other? You know, actual hard objects yeah. to pass on. Yeah. And the idea that this is set in a future where something like that had survived and become so important is so anachronistic with the way that the future has... I mean, obviously there aren't Terminators and shit, like obviously the future went a different way or whatever. <laughs> but uh, to me, there is something deeply romantic. And I don't mean like 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 love hearts romantic. I think that the, that vision of how we will remember the world of the past in terms of tactile objects like mm. photographs is gorgeous. And it's obviously a wonderful storytelling tool in this context as well. Like, and that meditation on the photo is like, it's more foreshadowing. Absolutely. It's and it's not even like that. Then fucking Terminators invade the space and he has to go fight them and the photo gets burnt and it's just like, can I, can't you have this one thing? And God. Um, Wouldn't it so be the same if you've been looking at an iPhone? <laughs> <laughs> you know, scrolling through an ancient Instagram account from the past. <laughs> what occurred to me around now in the film is that uh, Kyle Reese was born in 2003, which makes him Gen Z. Whoa. And John Connor is a millennial. Oh, wow. Yeah. Excellent. So it's like the Gen Z come back to save us from ourselves. Which is probably what needs to happen. So, yeah. Avocado toast and like <laughs> leading revolutions. That's what It's like they never will own homes. That's true. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what we're all about. <laughs> My God. Mm. Leave it up to the digital natives, man. Yeah. Um, so, where, when we come back to the present after he's, we have been shown the future past. Yeah. So, they, we had a walk through a forest, which is a daytime scene with a lot of trees, which yeah. is very rare. And because it is like a moment of calm for them out there. So. It is. Um, so they're pretty, you know, they're cold and everything. She's kind of wearing his jacket over her shoulders. Um, when she fell asleep, she kind of fell asleep on him. And when she wakes up, he's kind of cradling her head. Um, and the camera shows him just kind of flicking her hair back from her face a little bit, which like creepy. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't know her that well. Um, no touching. No, yeah, it's, it's not consent. Um, yeah. No, and, not bench, no. <laughs> um, but like she has been she's obviously been having dark dreams we've just got this flashback and so the movie does this kind of neat thing where she's like your world is pretty terrifying mm. um, or no sorry at this point she's like oh I was dreaming about dogs and he's like oh yeah we, we use them to spot HK's hydrocolors or whatever the phrase mm. is um, and so there's a sense that um, she's really getting to understand him better and to understand this dystopia that he's been living better um, and anyway, they go off, get a lift back to town, basically check themselves into a motel. Um, Kyle Reese pulls this like wad of cash out of his bag, out of his um, pocket. And she's like, I don't know where you got it. There's so much of this character that we don't actually see. There's so many of its actions that we're not familiar with. And I find that really fascinating. Um, so they curl up, they get to have a shower and just relax. He's, he goes out for um, 
equipment basically to try and make bombs so that they can try and fight the Terminator um, with a better chance of succeeding. And Sarah Connor makes a mistake, and that's how that's how they're found again. She calls her mother in, in Big Bear, um, and the mother is like, "Well, I've been worried sick. You know, you have to give me your address. This is ridiculous." And Sarah's like, "Oh, okay." <clears throat> and it strikes me that someone should really have told her that the Terminator can mimic voices. Mm. Oh, that camera pan is really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Oh. Um, so we just get like a shot of the Terminator. There's some cabin, I guess, in Big Bear that's just been like torn to shreds because of course. Um, and that's like really horrifying. Um, Sarah, Connor is trying to sleep um, and Kyle Reese is kind of like keeping an eye out the window and she's like, you know, he's probably going to find us, isn't he? And Kyle Reese is like, yeah, probably. And um, so they... Um, She's curious about the women from his time. And she's like, you know, have you got anyone special? And he's essentially like, no, you're kind of it for me. Like, I have this photo of you. I have no idea why, but I fell in love with this photo, which again, creep alert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not ideal. You look so lovely in your pictures. <laughs> no, no, keep scrolling, buddy. <laughs> um, but, you know, they um, there's a sex scene that, that I actually find pretty hot, actually. I think they do a pretty good job of making the characters seem like I think they do have good chemistry um, and it's a pretty good scene yeah. it's nice when that happens isn't it yeah, yeah. Not like Christ's sake yeah. why is Jeff Buckley's Hallelujah playing like you know, <laughs> nice. like it's and like, when it's done well I guess they're doing yeah. it to save the world so there's yeah. kind of an, an urgency to it but I'm not sure they know what that's that, that, oh he knows that, that, you reckon yeah. I, 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 I think he knows uh, yeah. he must know yeah he's right? figured out the dates I'd say yeah, he's yeah. watching the clock, yeah. written down in the back of the photo. Well, I don't yeah. think so. He's quite naive. Like, he's never had sex before. I think he's been saving her, himself for, for her photo, without maybe. even really knowing it. Yeah. Um, well, not like his future is real romantic. Like, there's no <laughs> Tinder in the, in the future. Like, I don't think people are probably very gamey in that kind of a hellscape. Sure. You know, nowhere to go. Like, you know, yeah. bad vibes. But it's good that there is a nice sex scene from an 80s film. Like, it's, it's uncommon. <laughs> it's not, it's not like... And like, I think it's a good expression of female desire without being too fake about it. Yeah. You know, we have like a nice, you know, music track over things so we didn't get any like, you know, awkward, fake Noise. sex noises. Yeah. Um, I think they do it really well, to be honest. Um, and they're, after that, the the tension between them has changed and they're, um, they're palsy, they're kind of joking around with each other. Kyle Reese seems like he's relaxed somewhat. Um, <laughs> not surprising, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, but of course, they hear the dogs outside barking and they're like, all right, better hustle. Um, and so off they go again for the third and last big chase scene of the movie. So I smell the pipe bombs are coming into play. Yeah. He's very bad at drawing pipe bombs. <laughs> Not a single one he of hits. He just out to buy a couple of pipe bombs. <laughs> like, it's brilliant. Well, actually, he teaches her to make pipe bombs, which comes important for the yeah. whole development of her because of she becomes a weapons badass mm-hmm. in well, yeah. Terminator 2 and 3. And that kind of sets her off on that path of Definitely. knowing about weapons. And there's a sense so. all the way that she's like, she's, she picks this stuff up pretty easily. Um, mm. There was a moment under the bridge where Kyle Reese is all like, oh yeah, I caught one back there. And she's like, you got shot? And, uh, and so she kind of like makes a dressing around his arm and he's like, that's a very good dressing. It's mm. quite a sexy moment, actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and um, there's a sense that, um, you know, she's quite frustrated with herself. She's like, you know, some legend, am I? Like, I can't even balance my checkbook. And he's like, no, you're good at this. Um, and it turns out she really is. Mm. Um, and we get more and more of a sense of that as she sort of becomes a more powerful character and Kyle Reese kind of withers a little bit. Like she's stepping into a destiny at this point. Like Absolutely. she goes from utterly and totally balking and in disbelief and agreeing with mean psychiatrists mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. him being like 
crazy or a liar or whatever. A technical term, terminology, a loon. <laughs> oh, it's, it's brilliant, isn't it, yeah. doctor? What an ass. Uh, so good. <laughs> God, thank God for them. Um, to accepting your destiny and then becoming quite good at it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, uh, it's like paving, paving her way from going, like refuse the destiny and then be like, okay, destiny, mm-hmm. cool. Let's do this. Um, like they don't get too into sort of the philosophy of whether or not there's a destiny in this movie. That kind of happens more in the second movie. Um, but there is a sense, I guess, that Sarah Connor's life has been waiting for something. I mean, even though she's got like a very, um, what I think is, you know, a not an unrealistic teenage, I guess, or young person life where, you know, it's a dead end job and like, you know, guys aren't really happening for her and stuff yet. They're like, it's not like she's a high-powered career woman going working her way towards some goal or that, you know, she's got, like, a family that she's apparently very close to. Like, she doesn't... Her life seems pretty tenuous, you know? Mm. So that's that's curious. I suppose it's, it's the same way that, like, orphans are conveniently written into the beginning of, like, children's stories, oh, that's right? So true, you know yeah. what I mean? And that, like, yeah. they're freed of parental responsibilities. They're freed of context. Absolutely. The perfect moment for her story to start is... 19 living with a pal working a shitty job mm-hmm. like she is void of responsibility mm-hmm. in the same way a like literary orphan is like she's Absolutely. not literally orphaned her poor mother but um she's unfocused and yeah. again it, the, the whole film just narrows into a point mm-hmm. her whole story narrows 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 and you can nearly feel that happening especially Absolutely. as you move towards the rapid pace towards the end mm-hmm. so what happens oh so they blow up the truck, the Terminator's in, and all the skin burns off. And they think it's they think everything's fine. It's moving very quickly at this stage. But we've seen the DVD menu where there's a robot, so we know that that's not the case. And here again is where the lack of um CGI really helps. Like when you know the Terminator, when his his human elements have been completely stripped away, and he's just this like extremely evil metal skeleton with like kind of a leering grin. It's very creepy. And just the way that he moves is um it's very stop start and it's oh makes serious skin crawl it really does i really appreciate that uh to jump ahead to terminator 2 3d the 3d experience universal studios um <laughs> so in that you go and you're in cyberline systems and they're something has survived from terminator 2 and they have they have terminators again and you're like getting a demonstration of these first terminators so there's actually four life-size ones in there wow. firing guns around your head Jeez. and it is legitimately terrifying because oh, they are so realistic. Bad. It's closed down. It's a Minions thing oh, now. Oh, jeez. Minions. Ruin everything. <laughs> minions shooting guns at you. No, it's not. Um, <laughs> There's but no they universe are in very, very scary things. Yeah. Um, and just the size yeah. of it as well. And even though the Terminator is... Like, we know he can be injured, obviously. Like, he had the arm thing and the eye thing. And but he doesn't feel pain in those injuries, right? Right. You know? mm. That's the other uncanny moment where he's just, like, casually fixing himself because he can't feel it. Mm. And... You can feel it because you own a body with a bunch of blood in it. So you're kind of feeling that that uncanny, like, abject thing. Yeah. But he's just, like, just fixing my arm, just popping out my eye. Like, his lack of feeling is right there. I love that. And there's something um, so... They're so in tune with kind of ideas of toxic masculinity in that. Like, he doesn't feel fear or pain or pity or remorse. Um, he wants to rip her fucking throat out. And there's a single-mindedness to his stalking and his um, his wish to murder this woman that is just seems to me very, um, 
I don't know. It's not like that doesn't seem fictional to me. That seems like something we experience a lot, actually. Though he's not a he's not necessarily like a, a male badass icon in the way of Tyler Durden, etc. Um, if you say his name three times, he appears. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll only say it once. But that kind of a hyper masculine character, there's no. Um, People don't idealize him because he's a machine, do you know? Mm. But again, that performance of uh, single-mindedness and violence, I don't know if it was culturally influential necessarily, but it's a really strong allegory for a certain kind of masculine behavior. Absolutely. And even like the muscles and stuff on top of that. It's not like, I mean, you know, it's it's <laughs> like it's the, it's the metal endoskeleton, I guess, that's, you know, that gives him this incredible strength. Like, he doesn't need to be this huge, jacked-up, muscly guy. Mm. Unnecessarily buff. Um, like. That's all for show, um, and it's not required at all. And, and he's no eyebrows. He's no eyebrows. Weird. He has weird, uh, or, or they're very, very fair, which is a really interesting visual tick about mm. him, that there's no eyebrow mm. at all, which makes him look more emotionless, I think, because he's I, not... Right? And I guess he doesn't need them because like sweat can roll into his eyes without stinging them. Oh, <laughs> yeah, so that's cool. Like he's a, he's he's leanly designed. Yeah. He doesn't need any extra bells and whistles. But it's very odd. Like that muscularity is that's for us, not for anyone else. Like I think if you're a cyberdyne systems, you would actually make someone very ordinary looking who can just like you know meld in very well. Who could like kill any guy in the street and take his clothes. So it doesn't have to be like some big punk, you know? Yeah. Um, it was, so, the film was actually turned down by a load of places first. Was it, really? it, was, it was actually picked up by two female producers. Which, and I'm wondering if maybe they saw the layers in it that maybe the other male producers wouldn't have seen. And also they all had worked together originally at Roger Corman's place. So they were like, it was like a small little creative scene had spread out and gotten petitions of power and then all helped each other. I love that. Which I love as well. Especially because it's like, um, the creative team was like a woman and a man. And then two mm -hmm. female producers take it on and it makes a star of Linda Hamilton. And it's just a really... I love that. Good positive thing, yeah. And when you watch the credits, like there are just a lot of women involved, um, mm. and that's something you just kind of notice and appreciate. I mean, there are way more women women involved in that movie than there are in any movies that I know of at the moment. Um, and so it seems very like forward thinking from that perspective. Mm. And for the time that it was made out, it's incredibly forward thinking. Yeah. And for a film that is quite boyish, sure. car chases, robots, mm. etc. Like we're looking at it from like a body heart or an analytical kind of perspective but generally people aren't do you know mm -hmm. for a action film that is also a horror film it's definitely it, a stealth horror film so oh, stealth horror yeah. but like on the surface it's an action film about mm. a like future murder robot like it's really affirming to me that there were women working on that in the 1980s mm -hmm. like i'm glad that they were there i'm glad that their perspective is in it i think it made it as nuanced and, and it's it rich. Yeah. yeah. Rich Absolutely. in textures. Mm -hmm. You know, the film is not as single-minded as The Terminator, if you know no. what I mean. It's broader. It's got a wider scope. It's talking about a lot of things. Yeah. And it's talking about fears that I think many of us still have, particularly about, like, technology and where it might mm -hmm. go. I mean, I think even though the internet as a concept, you know, had happened by 1984, it wasn't something that was really working yet. It wasn't something that was, like, well-known at all. That wouldn't happen for another decade, nearly. Um, but there is a sense that... There's a fear that once you allow computers or create computers which can be learning machines, that they'll reach a point called the singularity, which is when if something can self-improve without human interaction, it could eventually reach a point where 
we will no, no longer be able to tell whether or not it is human. Um, and I feel like that's really fascinating and really frightening. I think that is the most frightening thing of it within technology, uh, whether or not we will hit singularity tipping point, the machine that can decide mm -hmm. things for itself, reproduce itself by itself, mm -hmm. and is automated to an extent where it completely negates human experience. And this is the minute, right, where it's humans versus robots. And I think a lot of the best stories about robots are about what happens after the singularity, yeah, like Battlestar Galactica, like all that kind of thing, you know, and uh, the sheer violence of the Terminator is honestly like worrisome mm -hmm. like, like he's a very good killing machine and yeah. yet i don't think he's um a creation so much as sort of a suppository of our fears i yeah. mean when you look at the other characters in this movie like a few aside like lieutenant Traxler and a few others aside none of these characters are like great at being people the cops as a rule like weren't so great and um, the people that you meet on the street like not so great the people in the restaurant not great and um, the people that sarah is kind of surrounded by for the most part aren't great so, like the Terminator is kind of an extension of this um, of this sort of underbelly of, of mankind rather than like a totally new creation. Like you can kind of see it coming early. And you don't mm. realize he's machine for a minute either. Like it takes him a while to reveal that he's machine. Though sure. there is my favorite thing I think that happens in the whole film in terms of how it's written is Ginger's answering machine. Ginger on her answering machine, which we hear a couple of times through the story, says, hey, it's Ginger, how's it going? Filled you, I'm a machine. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Like, and then she's like, but machines need love too. Ha ha ha. Yeah, and that's it. Like, I love she, that. she just drops it in there. Mm -hmm. And like, we know because we're watching this film from the future. <laughs> but I can only imagine people in the cinema for the first time watching The Terminator who don't know that he's a machine, who might just think he's a superhuman or a superhero yeah. or something before they realize what he actually is. Like, it's just such a like a little sparkly through line like the film is telling you a story of like a, I guess a warning story a parable mm. a story about lots of things mm. but it's told with such consideration and um, blows blows my mind yeah. it's a good movie so we yeah. think it's good Sarah so, how did it influence your work well it kind of defined for me things that I'm still interested in like it like it made me realize that what I like thinking about is dystopia like mm. I was entranced with not just the story that was being told but the story of the future that um Kyle Reese was bringing back with him it made me think about uh, although this isn't something I was articulating as a 10 year old it made me interested in the concept of trauma and how um how you bring trauma with you, basically. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like Kyle Reese brings back the trauma he's experienced in the future to the present and makes it a much darker place. He's much more comfortable when the world is going to shit around him, basically. That's when he knows how to act and that's when he's kind of at his best, in a way. Um, and so, the, I love thinking about that. Um, I love thinking about different possible futures that we could have. And that's what I wrote about in my debut novel, which is just a... Um, <laughs> What's it called, Sarah? Alive. It's called Last One's Left Alive. It's and where can people get it? The future. You can get it in all good bookshops. Absolutely, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's also kind of a road book. It's about people trying to get from A to B and being chased by something. And like, this is all I want to read about and all I want to write about forever. And it, that's a really excellent, like, my, like a, a match strike for it is this film, which is a narrowing, narrowing pursuit. Absolutely. A pursuit that increases in intensity as it goes along. Like I can see how that would get its hooks into you and define an aesthetic. And it just, it really opened the idea for me that women could be um, superheroes as well or be, you know, fighting machines as well. Um, you know, Kyle Reese does so much of the heavy lifting when it comes to taking down the Terminator, but it's Sarah who, you know, eventually ends the Terminator and 
Um, and it's this great scene and it's with a crushing machine and you can see the Terminator reaching out with its skeletal, um, you know, fingers for her throat. And you just know that that's what the Terminator wanted to do all along. Since the like first thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's when she manages to take him down and it's just so incredibly satisfying. And she even has like a one-liner to go with it. You're a Terminator motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not a sweary movie. So it's when, it, when, they, when movie. They, they deliver them a few times and like, mm. what a gr- like, what an 80s banger. Like that should be the line that follows <laughs> right. everyone Where's around. Where's her meme? Yeah. Right, no. We should make that one a like, yes. Make that one just like, like superimpose it under a soft cat. <laughs> with crying eyes <laughs> you're terminated me when I'm that feeling when I'm terminated motherfucker <laughs> oh my goodness so then one final scene yes which her pregnant definitely less than nine months later right I think it's and about six months run. later yeah, because yeah. it was sort of it was May-ish um, the three days or so over which the action happens and this is in November Um Roughly, um, I can't remember how you know that. I think it says it like anyway. I love those film facts where it's just like I do not know how I know this, <laughs> but this is part of the fabric of who I am. Here are some facts. Exactly. That's why it's your Jimmy story because you know it for no. You just know it. You just know it. She's also wearing a ring in this scene oh. on her engagement finger, on her wedding finger, and I'm, like she wasn't wearing that before, and I find that so interesting. And mm. um, she's got a dog with her, um, and she's just on this like lonely, lonely road. She stopped for gas um, and. Um, a Mexican man comes out to help her and she's obviously like trying to learn Spanish um, and you know she fills up the tank and she's going to head off again um, and there's you know a kid in the scene and the kid says something she doesn't understand and she's like what did he say and the man is like there's a storm coming and he's a very wooden actor it's very funny um, he must be someone's father like someone maybe yeah. yeah I must look that I must look mm-hmm. into that it's fascinating and she just kind of like looks off you know into the middle distance and says I know and it's pretty terrible actually I'm not a big fan of that <laughs> but the kid just takes a picture of her that's right Clarice has right yeah and she explains in a voice where she told John all about Clarice mm-hmm. so but so John knew who he was sending back but do, do these like, tapes survive well that's does true. she even decide to give them to her, to her kid yeah. Um, I don't know. I, d- I don't think he knows, but I think that you could read that anyway, really. Yeah. Um, that's the Terminator. And that's the Terminator, folks. <laughs> yeah. Um, she literally, um, I mean, she goes, she drives off into the sunset, but she's not driving off into like the great new life that she has planned because of something she's overcome. She's overcome something and now she has to go and prepare for this dark feature that's coming. But she's still driving off, which is good, I guess. She's driving mm. off into the driving operatively like right future. Yeah. it's like everything has fallen away from her throughout this and it's just like her and the bump exactly and, and you can see like you can literally see the storm clouds gathering and she's got um, the gun that she was given the handgun uh, Kyle Reese gave her like is in her lap and the way she handles it now is just much more easy um, yeah she's going off to do some prepping I, I fucking love prepping yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's just a making sure prepper. I'm gonna survive yeah. yeah yeah she's sort of the original prepper which I really love about her that's pretty great so there we go <laughs> it's great yeah Watch it. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't seen it. Watch it twice. Yeah. You'll get more out of it now, realistically. Yeah. <laughs> they were playing it in uh, the Stella there a few weeks ago. Ah. And so I got to see it on the big screen for the first time oh in my, my life. And I was so happy. Um, so I really enjoyed that. That's fantastic. Have you got any final Terminator facts for us before we Terminator this <laughs> live Jimmy <GBA> Day experience? <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> see what I did there? <laughs> um... I just, I don't know, I, I still wonder what the Terminator is about, apart from, like, a gathering of our fears of what the, what the future is bringing. But, I mean, I, what is, why are we so fascinated with the Terminator? I think, um, 
I think the movie, I mean, it's obviously, it's called The Terminator. Um, a lot of the action is centered around what this Terminator is. And I think there's an expectation that the Terminator is the hero and he's the character that we're really interested in. The Terminator is very boring. He does one thing and he does it very well, but like, we're not interested in him at all. We're interested in the characters that his creation um, necessitates, essentially. So um, it's just... It's, he's kind of like a siege monster as well as a Terminator. He puts a very particular pressure on those people around him who have to act in very interesting ways to try and evade him. And I just find that so fascinating. But your Terminator motherfucker is a much better line to end on. So <laughs> let's, let's work with that. <laughs> so thank you very much, Sarah Davis Goff. Thank you for having me. I've had uh, the best time. Thank you. Uh, and thank you to DLR Lexicon. Yes, thank you so much, us. Lovely Library, thank for having us. Thank you to Cassia Tall Tales for setting us up. Yes. And thank you to all of you for coming. This was Juvenalia Live again. Bye.